Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, this is Robert Smigel with Canada's Podcast, where we talk to you entrepreneurs who are making it happen here in British Columbia. Today, our guest is Lloyd Lobo. Lloyd is entrepreneur and community builder. He experienced the Gulf War as a young refugee in Kuwait, witnessing the strength of community and evacuating the population to safety. As a co-founder of Vancouver-based fintech platform, Boast AI, he leveraged the community-led growth model to bootstrap the company to eight-figure revenue and secure over $100 million in capital while also co-founding Traction, a community empowering over 100,000 innovators through connections, content, and capital. The Traction Conference is the top startup conference in Vancouver. Lloyd has just released his book, From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands from Community-Led Growth, which topped Amazon's new release charts. Lloyd, welcome to Canada's podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to share your entrepreneurial journey with all of our listeners. Robert, what a pleasure. What energy. Your energy is going to make me want to explode on the podcast. You know, you you actually bring out the energy you give out. I don't understand why a lot of people don't bring that energy when they're starting conversations. This is first rate, my man. I'm stoked. Yeah. Oh, I always do that. You know, entrepreneurs and, you know, West Coast, Vancouver, Canada, they got to bring the energy, man. You got to be out there and get everyone excited. So, Okay, let's talk about you for a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your current business. You've got a lot of stuff going on. So I want to kind of narrow it down to a couple of things that uh, you want to focus on today. Definitely. So, you know, I, I got a lot of stuff going on, but actually it centers around the same thing. It's all all community, right? So um, the key thing I'm doing right now is writing a book, Community-Led Growth, which is ready for release on September 12th. The book was on pre-sale, made a number of uh, new release charts on Amazon, like business technology, like web marketing, startups, and so on. I think I think if you search Amazon.ca for From Grassroots to Greatness, it's already bestseller. The book is a culmination of exploring over a hundred plus iconic worldwide phenomena, global brands, talking to thousands of people from communities and companies and cultures that have sustained and coming up with some key lessons, some commonalities that I found across these uh, these companies. So now, how, did, was, how, did, how did you get started as an entrepreneur? I mean, what was, give us, take us back to when you first got, and, and why? why? Why did you get into this entrepreneurship and what motivated you? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. So I think one of the key things is to peel back the onion all the way to childhood. So I was, I grew up in Kuwait. I was born and raised in Kuwait. My parents are from India for better prospects to make money. Back in the day, people from India would go to the Middle East and they were working in Kuwait. Now my mom grew up in the slums of Mumbai and I spent my childhood summers in the slums of Mumbai. And my fondest memories as a child were from this community where, you know, eating food to watching TV was communal because not every house had a TV. It would rain all the time and like puddles would turn to ponds and we'd be swimming over it. That was our swimming pool. Going to the bathroom was a communal activity because there was no, <laughs> and every house didn't have a bathroom. You go to the public bathroom. Fast forward a few years, Robert, I was eight or nine and the Gulf War hit Kuwait. And that day when I wake up, I see the worry on my parents' faces and my, you know, I go down the building with my dad. Security had lapsed, no phones, no internet at that time. 
And that, that was a time where people wouldn't belabor on problems. Very, very quickly, people realized, okay, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to live or die. Let's try to solve this thing. And everyone in the building started saying, hey, I'm going to guard the building from this time to the other time. Somebody else is like, I'll organize food supplies. Another person is like, if you have displaced family members, I'll give them shelter. And every building became a subcommunity, and word of mouth spread from one building to another, to another, to another. And it became the largest evacuation movement to take people to safety, coordinated with governments, coordinated with embassies, coordinated with the UN. And buses were organized in a few months to take us from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan at a time when security was law, had lapsed and there was no phone and internet. That day, through that experience, I realized the power of community being number one. The power of people to come together towards a greater purpose and create impact. Imagine me as a little eight or nine-year-old. I felt like a little Rambo. I was probably the lowest common denominator, but I was out there feeling so connected to the purpose that I was moving things around, running around with my dad. And I felt like, hey, man, I'm, I'm driving this thing. The second thing I experienced from that is the entrepreneurial spirit. In 2023, when we think about entrepreneurship, it's all about building unicorns, but that's not what it is. The entrepreneurial spirit is all about taking an obscure idea to execution and impact while dealing with extreme risk, uncertainty, and ambiguity. And there was no uncertain time for us than going through that Gulf War when you don't know if you're going to live or die. Fast forward a couple more years, landed in Canada, finished engineering. And when I graduated engineering, I just didn't want to go and work a nine-to-five. I just didn't have the drive to do that. And I think it was that DNA, that experience of dealing with risk and uncertainty that I was craving. And so I asked a few business people, hey, if I wanted to be in business like you someday, what's the best skill I could learn? And unanimously, everyone said, man, you need to learn how to communicate. Everything you do as an entrepreneur is communication, from convincing your spouse that you're not going to bring money at home to convincing early customers, investors, it's all communication. So I said, what's the one thing I could do that would force me to communicate day in, day out and get better? You know, in 2023, a lot of people complain and say, oh, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Like I see kids, right? A lot younger than us. And I tell them, if you suck at something and you never do it, you'll never get better at it. The only way to get good at something you suck at is to Put yourself in an environment that forces you to, to do that something over and over again. So I started applying to sales jobs. Okay, Robert, I started applying to like Soft Choice and Xerox and all these companies, right? The Canadian greats, BlackBerry. And nobody would give me a job, this awkward engineer. Why would I want to give you a job in sales? So I fought and begged my way to finally get a job in cold calling for a startup. After that, I've only ever worked at startups. Right? See, they say you become the sum of the five people or the average of the five people you surround yourself with. That first experience working for a startup, picking up the phone, dialing for dollars, then I progressed and only ever worked at startups. I don't think I've ever worked. Boast, when I left the day-to-day -day at Boast, that was the largest company I worked for. And we were like 130 people when I left the day-to-day. -day. So I'd only okay. ever worked at startups. Okay, that's interesting. So what advice would you give to someone starting out as an entrepreneur? Do you think it's yet to be someone like you that goes, you know what, I can't do nine to five? I mean, what kind of advice if you were talking to someone that was younger than you and came into your office and said, give me some advice that you think would work for me as an entrepreneur that you've learned along the way? What would you tell them? Definitely. So one of the things I tell people is 
Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? That's the first question. Why? Um, and it's very important you ask yourself this question because it's a long slog. Anything like it, I've only ever worked at startups, Robert, since I graduated. Many of them were venture back, raised money. They all failed. The only time I ever made money in that 20 years of being <laughs> working is when Boast had an outcome, right? So that tells you 99% of the things you do fail. And I've worked for companies that were funded by good investors. So the first question is to ask yourself, why do you want to do it? Because you could work somewhere and probably over a long period of time, grow and, and make money. You're doing it. Is there a greater impact? What is your personal definition of success? Ask yourself this. And that personal definition of success is what are you seeking to do at 65? What is the joy you're eventually seeking? How much money do you need in your bank account to make that happen? How long do you want to run the company for? Is there a version of the company you don't want to work for? Basically trying to understand, do you draw joy from it? Because when you start doing things you don't draw joy from, it's hard to play a long game. And doing a business is all about playing the long game, right? It's a long slog. So that's number one. Number two, ask yourself, are you willing to take a risk? If you say, oh, I need to raise money to do the startup, you're not ready for it. If you're not ready to start with your own blood and sweat, you're not ready for it. So ask yourself, are you willing to quit your job? If you're not willing to quit your job, then can you put time on the side and start doing side hustles? Like take on a project on the side, validate the idea, talk to customers, get some paying customers, do some consulting work, turn that consulting service into a product. That sort of thing. Like do it on the side where you get enough traction and it starts paying you enough where you can raise money or customer revenue will carry you through and you can quit your day-to-day -day -day job if you don't okay. have the risk appetite. But now let's say you don't have neither. Hey man, I don't want to, I don't know if I have the time and energy to do a side hustle and I don't know if I want to jump into the risk right now. So then what do I learn? I tell them three skills will formulate all your success in anything you do. Number one, your ability to communicate. Communication is the rails of our society. Without communication, you can't connect. And if you can't connect, you don't have an audience, you have an empty room. Number two is the ability to create. I don't care what you create, whether it's making products, whether it's making videos, whatever it is, learn to create. It just expands your mind and expands your brains and helps you get, it gives you this sort of addiction to make things. So get good at creating. And the third thing is consistency. All success comes from a combination of communication and creation done with consistency. You may be the best creator in the world and the best communicator, but if you're not consistent, you'll not get anywhere. So those three things. Now, let's say you have that, but you're like, you know what? My job's not allowing me to do this, or I don't have the time. I tell people, when all else fails, go work for a founder. Get a job at a startup. It'll pay less, but the experience you'll get from working for a founder will be second to none. So backtracking my journey, right? My first job was cold calling. I practiced four hours, Robert, to, to get that first call. The decision maker hops on. I hang up right away. My parents so embarrassed of me. Our son, like they're, they're from Indian heritage. Our son graduated engineering, and he's making $30,000 a year while our friend's kids are at Microsoft. But fast forward today, this is the best skill ever for me. It, I'm everything I am because of that. So you're skill. saying you're saying your skill, your skills are sales and communication, would you say? Over and above yeah, yeah. the engineering, over and above the engineering. Because my, my, my thinking is that engineering, they tend to be one is siloed and work on coding, work on programming, and then you know, leave me alone and uh drink my Coca-Cola and I'm good. Yeah, you know, the, here's the thing. We're in a world where generative AI is taken 
everything by storm. Low-code, no-code tools are so prevalent. You can actually go and now buy this the architecture of like a website that looks like an Airbnb or like a Dropbox or whatever. So it's easier to build. You know what's harder? To get customers to pay and use your product. That's the harder thing to do. Building an audience yeah. is very hard, right? And so that's why if you're an entrepreneur and you don't want to take a risk, then isn't it crazy that you're going to quit and start coding and hope somebody will buy your stuff? Why not start selling? Sell it before you have it. So you have the pre-buys and then you know, okay, I know exactly what to build based on what the customers are telling me. So that was that was the learning. And then after that first job in cold calling, I transitioned to another startup in sales. Now, as most startups founders do, they exaggerate what, where the company are at stage-wise. So I joined them to sell. What I realized quickly is they don't have a repeatable, scalable product or sales process. So I ended up having to talk to customers, then translate their requirements into product requirements to the developers so they know what to build. And then also had to build the marketing site and the marketing materials. Now, a lot of people would quit their job, right? They'd be like, listen, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for a sales job. I persevered and stuck there because I learned so much being like working alongside the CEO, talking to customers, going to meetings, distilling those requirements into product requirements, and then building the marketing site. And then my journey just carried on, went to run GTM. And then the next job after that was doing my own startup. And so that's the thing, right? You become the average of the people you surround yourself with. If you're just hanging around founders and you have that energy of talking to customers, building product, shipping product, getting traction, over time, no doubt you will start your own company. So let's talk about uh, British Columbia since this is Canada's podcast and, and that you did found Boast uh, in Vancouver as well as the Traction Conference. Why? Vancouver, British Columbia, what are the good things about starting a company in British Columbia? And what are some of the challenges you witnessed along the way so our entrepreneurs can keep an eye up with them? You know, what I love about Vancouver and BC in particular is like the vibe, right? Like people are good, people are great and helpful. It's very similar to like a mini Silicon Valley. It's not all like, you know, run, run, run and like live to work. There's a good balance. And people are very nice and friendly. That's why we do our you know, annual conference. So a big part of how Boast grew in the early days when we started the company, nobody would talk to us. And so we started hosting events for founders, which eventually became a community of 120,000 subscribers. And we do a big conference in Vancouver, which your colleagues have been to in the past, and every major CEO has come to that event. We chose deliberately to do it in Vancouver because it's a beautiful city. People are friendly. And the atmosphere is great from a camaraderie perspective to do business. And that was a good ground for us. And our biggest office to date, I think, is in Vancouver, right? We have offices okay. in San Francisco, in Dallas, in Toronto, in Montreal, in Calgary. But our biggest office to date is there. My co-founder also lives there in Vancouver permanently, right? And um, my co-founder from Traction, which is a nonprofit, Ray Walia, he also lives there. And he runs a nonprofit launch academy. Alex is there. So it just makes it a great uh, dynamic there. And I don't know, man, I've been in other cities. I don't know what it is about Vancouver that keeps people coming back. You know, every year that we do the traction conference in Vancouver, 
probably like 60% of the people come from the US and they stay there for like four or five days because they love the vibe and the environment and the friendliness of the people. And it's just different. I, I, I mean, ask yourself this. I mean, you've been all over, right? I mean, why are the property prices so high in Vancouver compared to anywhere else? Because it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great Everyone wants to be there. Every like literally, I've traveled around the world. Vancouver gets high marks from a perspective of livability. And especially that's important in 2023, right? So what's what people are realizing in 2023 as we came off the pandemic is man, I'm done with building my identity around my work. I'm done with working to live. I want to figure out the life I want to live and then build my work around it. There are very few places that give you that atmosphere and that vibe. And Vancouver is very high on that list in terms of like, weather is nice. You can ski and go to the beach on the same day. People are friendly. It's a great business environment. It's true, like, you know, it's, it's true West Coast hospitality, right? Which you don't get in a lot of cities where you just feel like I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I feel like working and doing business in Vancouver all those years that we were doing even like the Taction Conference every year and so many events, just never felt like work there. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a workaholic. So entrepreneurs need to stay healthy. They have to have routines. They have to be disciplined. Uh, they Some may read a lot, but exercise obviously is big. What are some of the things that keep you focused as an entrepreneur and some of the things that have worked for you as being an entrepreneur over the years and some, some of the advice or some of the learnings and some of the exercises you do that kind of keep you focused, keep you healthy? What are the things that you could relate to other entrepreneurs to say, here's what works for me. It might work for you. What would that be? Definitely. You know what? I, I late to the party on this one. So um, what happened was all my life, I just worked, 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 chase, 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 worked 24-7. It's the worst thing you could ever do. We never, we never think about this. But the biggest outcomes on the planet in the startup world, from Dropbox to Shopify, are founder-led. If founders don't care, take care of themselves personally, they're no good to their families or the business. And I never realized this, and I kept running and running and never focused on my health. And then what happened was in 2020, we sold a majority stake in Boast. And rather than having the opportunity to enjoy it, for some reason, I got a very, very severe case of COVID. I had bilateral COVID pneumonia. My lungs were shot. This is a time where my whole family, including my dad, who just had a bypass surgery, got COVID too, but they were all fine. And I landed in the hospital, sick, unable to breathe, and took months to recover from that. And I realized by not taking care of my health, the compound interest on the stress and the overwork and the burnout really destroyed my health. So I turned things around by doing a few key things after joining a fitness community. And one of the things, the first thing I did was cut out negative energy, right? Our environment is full of like negative social media, people talking crap, politics. So I started cutting all of that out. I, in fact, I went off social for a good six months just to detox my brains. I cut out any form of dopamine. And I, I don't know if this works for, for most people. It definitely did for me. No alcohol, no caffeinated energy drinks, no smoking, no sugar. Sugar is still the hardest. Clean my diet. A diet is a big one. We eat all this processed food, man, and it 
really destroys you over time. So I started eating whole protein rich, whole foods. That was a, a big, big thing for me. The fourth one was fasting. And I don't want to be an advocate for this. Like if it works for you, it's great. It works well for me. I stay more focused. So I fast like 18, 20 hours a day and I eat one, two meals within a four to six hour window. The fifth thing is walking 10 to 20,000 steps a day or doing some form of movement, whether it's like a cardio for one hour, like slow pace or walking for a couple of hours, just slow pace, not like running really hard, but walking. So brisk walking, basically. The compound interest of that doing it over time is just good health. And it's easy to do. You can listen to podcasts, you can listen to eBooks, you can walk with your spouse and it becomes a walk and you guys bond together and hold hands. Start doing that. The sixth one was lifting weights. And I keep it simple, right? Uh, just no magic potion here. Just bench press, squat, shoulder press, deadlift, all the compound movements and try to increase the weights every week a little by little. Either do more reps or lift more weights or do little, uh, reduce the rest between sets. And then once a week, I, I have a challenge day where I try to do max push-ups a week and so on. But really like focused on the health. And one of the key things I do is having a morning ritual. So every morning I wake up and I never did this for a long time. And I realized how it was impacting my mental health by starting the day with something negative. So wake up and I think about a positive thing that happened the night before and be thankful, right? Um, thank the good that happened in the previous day, probably an experience or an event or a thing or a person. Is it like a gratitude that, journal? Are you talking about like a gratitude journal of some sort? Yeah, I, I, I just close my eyes and I'm like, thank you for this thing that happened yesterday. Like tomorrow morning, this is probably the last podcast of my day. So I'm like, thank you for a wonderful, energyful podcast with Robert, right? We, we had talked about these things. It put me in a great frame of mind before I went to bed kind of thing. And then I bang out max pushups to Eye of the Tiger from Rocky. That song just energized me. Anytime I'm down, I just play that. And then drinking two to three liters of water at least a day and trying to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Now, these seems like a lot of steps. It's not like I did them all at once, but I started seeing what are the things that put me in a negative frame of mind and I started cutting it out. And what are the things that brought me joy and I started adding them. And slowly over time, I started doing more and more of it. I, If I had one tip from all of this that would be key is working out when you wake up first thing in the morning before you did anything. I can't state the benefits of this enough. There was a study done by Naperville High School and uh, it was called Zero Hour PE where they had students who came into school, work out before any other activity, before they opened a book. Those students over time ended up becoming some of the highest IQ kids and killing every benchmark from education to sports. There's something that says there's no brain function that exercise doesn't improve. And if you're stressed, mentally distraught, whatever you're going through, exercise releases endorphins in your brains that calms that feeling. And so when I work out first thing in the morning, now it's a habit. Like I don't do anything before I work out. I'm, I'm in a state of euphoria and nothing phases me. Good. Okay, let's talk about now. You've been an entrepreneur, you've been working on startups, but imagine you didn't have to do that anymore. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you like to do for a profession? Something completely different 
that you could say, money's no obstacle. I can do this, whatever it is. I mean, you've written a book, obviously, you've covered that. But what else would you do? Uh, if you couldn't work for a startup, you couldn't do the grind, what would it be that you would like to do? Honestly, I think I would like to do something that is community-led always because community has been a part of my DNA. I can't. The only time, Robert, I ended up depressed in my life was when I had all the money in the world when I sold half the company, but didn't have the community. I felt that the community was lost. Every other time when I was pissed for, I was happy. Even if, even if I didn't have the money because the community was around me. So the next thing I do will be community-led. I'd like to do potentially something in wealth that helps people create wealth, taking like maybe bums to Bill Gates, which would be a lifelong project that even exceeds me, or something in longevity, democratizing functional longevity. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on this, you know, retire at 65. Most people who retire at 65, the amount of stress and the condition their body's in is they're not functional. They're not functional, right? And and even if you're living till 100, if you're not functional, what good it is? So perhaps figuring out a way to increase functional longevity. One of those two projects would be a passion project that I could do forever and never look back and have fun at. Okay, so it might be another book on the way. <laughs> no, maybe <laughs> maybe another startup on the way. <laughs> <laughs> you go back to the default. What two words would you use to describe yourself and why? Community builder. And I don't know, man, I didn't see this for a long time, Robert, but my brother helped me see this. He's like, what is your purpose in life? And I started giving him the purpose of the company. And he's like, stop this. He's like, every time you're around, no matter which city we go to, you gradually and naturally people gravitate towards you. He's like, even when our family used to not come together, anytime you're in town, we're always meeting each other. He's like, your purpose in life is to bring people together. And actually, that was one of the reasons why he, he helped me see that purpose, which was one of also the reasons which enabled me to write the book, because I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so community builder uh, at the core. You can say okay. entrepreneur, you can say any number of things, but I, I think you know my tombstone will say community builder. Great. Now, any books that have inspired you? And you've just written one here, but any books that before this that you said really kind of inspired you, gave you some really good information as an entrepreneur? Definitely. For entrepreneurs, I recommend a couple books. One is, and, and they're all, by the way, communication and relationship building kind of books. One is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Phenomenal book. The other is Influence by Robert Cialdini. Phenomenal book. Um, Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. It talks about situation, problem, implication, need payoff questions. It's a framework of questioning so you can build stronger relationships with your customers and be consultative versus just saying, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. And the last one is Made to Stick, all about presenting your ideas clearly so you can inspire and evangelize people. Okay. Have you had a mentor before or someone that gave you a piece of advice or information, something that really resonated with you that you could pass on to entrepreneurs? Definitely. Jason Lemkin, founder of Saster, also two-time exited founder before that, built eScience, sold it to Adobe, VC now. He wrote the forward on my book, but the one thing he told me is consistency is the secret ingredient that turns small actions into big outcomes. And then he says, look at it. 
The single richest person in B2B SaaS is Larry Ellison because he never sold a share. He kept going. The single richest person investing is Warren Buffett because of compound interest. Compound interest on consistency is what ends up being overnight success. So he's like, you'll feel hard. You'll feel like giving up and throwing the towel and things will feel like they're failing and falling. But if you believe in it, if you have the passion for it, don't stop. Keep going, right? Mr. Beast, another example. He was creating these crappy videos, crappy videos, and today he's an iconic brand. He just never stopped. Or Gary Vaynerchuk, when I was doing the HubSpot inbound marketing certification in 2005, he was a chubby young guy talking about the power of video. He's Gary V today because he never stopped creating videos. So consistency is the secret ingredient that turns small actions into big, big outcomes. If you believe in it, in that purpose, don't stop. Yeah, he started the wine videos. I think that's where he started out. And then... Yeah, that's what he was doing there. Wine TV. Exactly. Okay. Anything keeping you up at night? Is there anything that keeps you up at night or do you just shut it down and and move on? I I mean, sometimes entrepreneurs are working around the clock, but do you have a way to kind of disconnect? Oh, man. I wish I could. could, when When I was in the grind, it's very hard to disconnect. Now, I just shut the laptop and and go. Sometimes you just got to go. You know what helps me disconnect though? I'm a foodie. So there, I, I go walk to a nice restaurant that I love the meal of. And I, that's, that's my way of basically disconnecting. If, you, if you're really frustrated by something, go take a walk. And the best way to leave is to go to a place that brings you joy. Fabulous. Okay, we're going to wrap things up here. How can our listeners get hold of you? And is there anything you'd like to add before you leave us today? Definitely. So find me, Lloyd. Lobo on LinkedIn. I'm quite active there. Last few weeks have been a little difficult because I've been finalizing the book. And then the book is on From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth. The website is from grassrootstogreatness.com. I've put it for 99 cents, so it's accessible to all. So you can get the digital copy and there'll be a Notion workbook with templates on how to build a community-led business that's enduring and lasts long. One thing I want to add as we close out, as I talk to so many people during writing the book and looking at the guts of all these enduring, long-lasting companies, I found that every obscure idea that went on to become a global phenomenon, from CrossFit, from Christ and Christianity to CrossFit, every obscure idea that became a global phenomenon, it's a big thing, right? From Christianity to CrossFit, went through these four stages. And they were common to all of those small ideas that became massive, enduring, long-lasting. And uh, I, I distilled those ideas into the book. But to give you a quick teaser, when people listen to you, you have an audience. When you bring that audience together to interact with one another, it becomes a community. When that community comes together to create impact towards a greater purpose beyond your product or profits, it becomes a movement. And when that movement has undying faith in its purpose through sustained rituals, over time, it becomes a cult or a religion. So think that through audience, community, movement, religion. I talk a lot about this in the book, but yeah, that's how I'd like to close it out. Seems that community is uh, the big uh, takeaway here and trying to build your community in everything you do. And uh, if it's a startup or wherever your direction you're going, make sure you got the people that help support and you can support others. Seems to be the, the message here. When Boast was at 10 million in revenue, we had no marketing team. We had a big traction community though. And that's that's yeah. what took the investors by surprise. 
is fall in love with your customers and make them successful beyond your product or service. Yesterday's innovation is always tomorrow's commodity. If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. And the perfect example from one of the most iconic brands of our times is Harley-Davidson, right? The company almost went bankrupt in the 80s when the Japanese manufacturers came in. They rebuilt the company on the ethos of community. The president said, we're going to go out there and create these writer clubs. It wasn't a marketing strategy. It was a company strategy. Management, employees, the president, they became writers. Writers became employees. They created the Save Harley campaign. And they created several movements to donate to breast cancer and autism. And today, you recognize a Harley fan just by what they're wearing. They, they tattoo the brand on their body. Yeah. And this is a company that, that the Japanese manufacturers almost took out. And today, it's an everlasting global phenomena. And that just tells you technology will come and go. As someone who built a successful AI company with the power of community, I'll tell you, the world and the, most, the, the world's most sustaining, enduring brands are built on human-to-human -human connections. We don't say dot-com company anymore. We don't say social company anymore. We will not say AI company anymore. And in fact, OpenAI, that has built the biggest AI company on the planet, built it also on the power of community. I was part of the OpenAI community in 2019. OpenAI has trained its data with millions of users' information, voluntarily giving that information to make the product better. If that community didn't exist, OpenAI wouldn't exist. So think about that for a second. Okay. Awesome. Lloyd, thanks for coming on the show. I've learned a lot about you, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robert. We'll see you next time.